As we open our Bibles, we also open our hearts, that these words of truth may fall upon the very fabric of our lives. May these ancient scriptures come alive within us to inspire, to heal, to cleanse, to teach, to restore, and to guide our hearts and minds. Lord, come weave your words of life in us. May we all feel safe within each other, safe to think and safe to question, safe to ask for help, and safe to share our lives with you, our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. Well, good morning again. How are you guys feeling? Not too hot in here, thankfully. Do you guys remember uh, Home Alone 2? Right? Not the first one, but the second one where he gets lost in New York. Right? Uh, do you remember how that movie starts out? They're all at like this, you know, really, you know, scenic, picturesque, uh, like kids choir concert at school. And Kevin starts singing his solo, and Bud starts, like, you know, making fun of him, playing drums uh, on his ears. Uh, and so Kevin turns around. He catches Buzz in the act. And what does he do? He slugs him. And as a result, the entire choir uh, falls down. The Christmas tree falls on the poor accompanist, and Kevin's left standing in the middle, guilty and just caught in the act, Right? The next scene is one I think that if you've ever, if you have siblings, you can relate to. So um, Kevin and Buzz are at a family meeting, and Buzz gets up and he starts to wax eloquent. You know, dear family, he says, oh, my, my prank was ill-timed and immature, and he starts to, you know, wax eloquent this entire apology. Then he looks at Kevin, he says, Kevin, I'm sorry. And everyone's like, oh, Buzz, that was so sweet. That was such a good apology. And they look at Kevin like, Kevin, do you have something to say? Uh, and Kevin's looking around the room, and right before he starts talking, Buzz leans in, and he goes, beat that, you little punk. Anyone ever have that kind of situation happen in your life? If you've got siblings, you know what I'm talking about, right? You did something wrong. You got caught in the act, and mom or dad says, now you have to apologize. You have to apologize. You don't really want to apologize. You're still kind of angry. You're not really sorry. And so you kind of, you know, mutter under your breath, sorry. Right? It's just like a half-hearted, you're not, you don't really actually mean it for real. Did anyone actually ever get away with that? Right? Not me. Right, I start here this morning uh, because this is essentially what we're going to see Jonah do in Jonah chapter 3. Right? A half-hearted sorry, and I'm going to do whatever you say, God. Right? The book of Jonah. Have you guys been enjoying this, this, this study together? I love the book of Jonah. It is such a fascinating story. Right? It is, uh, it is actually, if you're into, like, you know, studying the, the, uh, the literary styles of the Bible and what, like, the fact that we have certain books that are more poetry and certain books that are more apocalyptic and certain books that are more narrative and storied. Uh, Jonah is, like, fascinating to study from that lens. Listen to this. Right, one scholar says, in recent studies, the literary character of the Old Testament, uh, in recent studies of the literary character of the Old Testament, the verdict is unanimous. 
that the book of Jonah exhibits a high degree of literary excellence. Right? Another commentator says this. He describes it as enormously varied, rich, and complex. Even the choice of what might appear as small words is calculated. Here's another quote. Uh, the model of literary artistry mark, is marked by symmetry and balance. Last one. Uh, and one commentator says this. He says, from the beginning to the end, in form and in content, in diction and phraseology and style, it is a masterpiece of rhetoric. Right? Who's a, who's a part of a home group? Did you guys get to see that uh, Bible Project video that's kind of like the primer for the entire book? That's really helpful. Uh, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Uh, Tim Mackey points out that there's actually a lot of parallelism in the book of Jonah. Right? Chapter 1 and chapter 3 have a lot of parallels that line up with one another. Chapter uh, 2 and chapter 4 have a lot of parallels that line up with one another. It's absolutely fascinating to study. In chapters 1 and 3, there is a story that happens. There's a narrative. God calls Jonah responds, and we get to see kind of the fallout of Jonah's response. Both of those chapters. In chapters 2 and 4, there's a prayer or a conversation that happens between Jonah and God. Right? And there is so many parallels and, and mirrors of one another, down to even the fish in chapter 2 and the worm in chapter 4. This book is brilliantly written. It is very brilliantly written. And here's what's interesting about the book of Jonah. Right? Every other book of the prophets is the story of a message that God is telling to his people. Right? So Jeremiah, Isaiah, all those books are about a message that God is telling. So they're telling us the story of the message, not Jonah. Jonah is about the messenger. Jonah is about the person. Right? And it's about how this messenger responds when God calls him to those people. Right? You all know who I'm talking about when I say those people. Right? To you, you know exactly who those people are. Right? Every one of us has a those people. That person we think is way too far gone. We treat them like they're an enemy. We try to avoid them at all costs. Right, so why is Jonah so important? What is it about Jonah the person that God wants us to understand and learn from? Uh, one more, one more uh, comment about the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah is actually meant to be satirical in nature. Right? It's kind of meant to be like a comedy. Right? If you were living in uh, you know, ancient Old Testament times and you read the book of Jonah, it would kind of be like watching an SNL skit today. Right? What's the point of an SNL skit? Right? It, it's to make you laugh. It's, it's, to, it's to offer some kind of commentary or critique on our culture, but in a funny way. Right? They're intended to be comedic. Right? Whether the topic of an SNL skit is like the presidency or some other major news event, uh, the point is for you to laugh as we kind of make fun of our, our own culture and society. And at the end of the day, what is like an SNL skit actually making fun of? Making fun of you and me. Making fun of us. Right? And we kind of laugh along because it's actually funny. Right? So as we read the book of Jonah, the point is not to treat it like a funeral. Oh, Jonah's such a bad character, or Jonah did this, or Jonah did that. And we, when we approach it as if we're going to a funeral. The point of the book of Jonah is to make you laugh. 
right, is to make you say, that is ridiculous. I mean, just think about this for a second. Not a single person in the book of Jonah behaves the way you would expect them to. Right? Every single pagan or non-Christian, or not, well, none of them are Christians, every single pagan in this story uh, is repenting, and the one man of God, the one person who knows who God is, who knows what his character is like, is trying to run away from God, as if you actually can run away from God. He knows better. Right? That's, that's funny, right? It's ridiculous. Jonah acts like a toddler who's throwing a temper tantrum. Right, throughout the book of Jonah, God, God is having conversations with fish and with plants and with worms. By the end of the book of Jonah, even the cows are repenting. How is that not funny? Right, this is meant to like, make you chuckle. Okay, this is kind of funny. This is a little bit over the top. It's ridiculous. It's like, a, like an ancient version of Abba and Costello. And I said just a second ago that in the book of Jonah, not a single person, not a single character behaves the way you would expect. That's not actually completely true. There's one character throughout the entire book that behaves exactly the way that you would expect. Who is that? God. Right? He has defined himself as steadfast and patient and merciful and full of grace throughout the scriptures. And that is exactly how he acts in the book of Jonah. And so we come to Jonah chapter 3, right? If you, just a, as a quick background, Jonah 1, God calls Jonah uh, to go to Nineveh, to those people. These are the last people Jonah wants to go anywhere near. God calls him to go to those people, and he runs away instead. He's caught up in a storm. He's thrown into the sea. He's swallowed by a fish. In chapter 2, Jonah writes a song, a, 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 a poem, Apparently, the belly of a fish is a great place to write some poetry if you've ever wanted to get into, you know, some creative writing. And so in Jonah chapter 3, we get, Jonah's going to get a second chance. He's going to get a second chance at obeying God. Anyone here thankful for second chances? Maybe some third chances? Fourth chances? Jonah gets a second chance to redo his response. And we get to have a front row seat to see how he does. Okay, so even though Jonah technically obeys God, he technically goes to Nineveh, he preaches, we're going to get to see a little bit of uh, uh, Buzz and Kevin McAllister coming out here, a little bit of half-heartedness. Okay, you ready for this? I'm going to pray, we're going to read the, the text, and we're going to jump into it together. Jesus, so thankful for your word, your written word the word that is, uh, was written so long ago and yet speaks to us today. Would you give us ears to hear? And more importantly, Lord, would you give us uh, just a heart and a longing to do what you are calling us to? Not just be hearers of the word, but also be doers. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen if you want to follow along. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Does this passage, does this intro look at all familiar? It's almost word for word identical to chapter 1. Right? Remember what I said? They're, they're mirrors, they're parallels to one another. It's almost word for word. The only difference is this time Jonah responds differently. Instead of running the other way, he responds differently. Verse 3. 
So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. How did Jonah do? He did great. He responded. God said, I'm calling you to these people. This is your second chance, by the way. Remember the fish? Jonah says, okay, I remember. I'm going to go. And he gets up quickly, and he immediately obeys God. And this is just a quick little side note. This is a whole separate sermon. But I've learned that when it comes to obeying God's call in your life, all right, when it comes to obeying God's call in your life, it is best to obey quickly and immediately. Right? And I'm not talking about those times where God's call is a little bit vague and you need to spend a little bit more time in, in prayer and seeking wise counsel and in discerning what God is calling you to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times when God's call is clear. When you know from the bottom of your soul that this is what God is calling me to. Right? The best response to that is obedience that is quick and immediate. Because if you don't, you're going to talk yourself out of it. I found this most uh, evidently in my life when it comes to generosity, actually. Right? When God lays on my heart to be generous towards a particular person or family, uh, if, I, if I don't obey immediately, what happens is uh, I'll get home and I'll start to kind of do the math and I'll realize, man, but I was planning on doing that with this money and, man, we really need to pay this bill. We really need to do this thing. Or I was actually hoping to use that money for a vacation or whatever. And I always find reason after reason not to be generous. And so I have learned when God says uh, to give generously that my response needs to be quick and immediate. And I have found that I have never regretted it. I have never regretted being generous when God calls me to be generous. I've always experienced what we talked about in, in this liturgy just a few minutes ago. This freedom from money. This freedom from this thing that controls me so easily. Back to Jonah. Right, we're told that this city is large. Uh, it takes three whole days to get from one side of the city to the other in order to see it all. So in verse 4, uh, Jonah began into this, to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he calls out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, let's get this straight for a second here. New and improved Jonah experienced the, the belly of the whale, wrote a song about it, right? He is repentant and changed. Like, how long does it take to get through this city? Three days. How long does Jonah spend in the city? One day. One day! It takes three days to get through the city. He spends one day. Okay, that's got to be a typo, right? Let's take a look at his, at his message. Maybe his message is a little bit better. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. End of sermon. That's it. Right? In the Hebrew, this is actually only five words long. Right? This is kind of like the modern-day equivalent of that guy at the festival that walks around with a picketing sign that says, like, God's going to judge all of you. Right? There's, no, there's no grace in there. There's no, uh, it's all judgment and condemnation. It's a doomsday message. Right? When, I, when we lived in Virginia, there was uh, this guy that would come to all of the festivals. Uh, you probably have a guy that you've seen at your festivals, right? Uh, and he would actually carry a life-sized cross at every festival. 
okay? And so it's like a massive cross, but the, the thing that made it funny, it was always a little bit like weird and like, okay, what he, like, I get what he's trying to do. It's a little bit weird, but what always made it funny is he had a tiny little wheel on the bottom of the cross so that when he carried it around, it would like roll easier. And so it was really funny, uh, and it was also a little bit weird. All right, where is the message of God's grace in this, in this sermon? It's not there. That's right. Right, where is the call to repent? It's not there. Right, there's no mention of God at all. How, is, how are the Ninevites supposed to know who is going to destroy them? They don't. Right, there's absolutely nothing helpful or redemptive about this message. It's just a message of condemnation and judgment. And this is, this is, the, this is the part that's crazy. God's steadfast mercy and grace pours out nonetheless. Right, some of us read the book of Jonah, and we have a hard time with the fish. The fish appears in two verses, by the way. The story is not about the fish. Right, what we really ought to have a hard time with is verse 5. After the world's worst sermon, it says this, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That is the truly unbelievable part of this story. How in the world does that happen? How does the world's worst sermon bring about such a response of repentance and transformation? I mean, Jonah does every possible thing he can to sabotage the message. And yet God still uses it to produce a fruit of repentance. Isn't that crazy? Chapter 3 ends with a description of this incredible change that occurs in Nineveh. The people declare a fast. Uh, they put, up, put on burlap to show their sorrow. Burlap was this really rough material that was really scratchy, was not comfortable at all, and it was used for moments like this to demonstrate an external, like, demonstration of an internal change, right? The king himself steps down from his throne. He takes off his comfortable royal robes, puts on the same burlap, sits in ashes. This is an act of extreme humility and contrition, and he sends out this decree throughout the entire city. Verse 7. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them, be, let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? May, uh, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Church, who actually knows? Who actually knows how God responds to, to humble repentance? Jonah. Who knows? Jonah does. He's the one person in the story who doesn't just intellectually understand that God is steadfast and loving and merciful and gracious to those who repent. He's experienced it himself. And where is Jonah in all of this? We'll find out in chapter 4, right? He's making his way to a scenic overlook of the city because he wants to see the fireworks show. He wants to see the destruction of his enemies. 
You see, I think Jonah assumed that there is no way that the Ninevites are going to repent. Even if, he's probably thinking, even if I preach the best sermon in the world, there's no way the Ninevites are going to respond, that that they're going to repent in any way, shape, or form. Right? Anyone have someone that in your mind right now that you're like, man, that person's, there's no way they will ever respond to the love of Jesus. Right? There's just no way. They're so outspokenly and, and, and so uh, against anything that Jesus is about, and so we put them in this category of those people. They're just, they're just never going to change. They're never going to turn. That's what Jonah is expecting from the Ninevites. Let's bring this home. At Sanctuary Church... We believe that God still speaks to us. Do you guys believe that? Thank you, because I just spoke for all of you. Uh, At Sanctuary Church, we believe that God still speaks. He speaks through his word, and then he actually speaks to us as well. He gives us callings upon our lives. He calls us into uh, faith and into obedience to walk and to live in a distinctive way. Right, and he even gives us specific moments of calling. If there's one thing that each of us must face today, it's that there's a little bit of Jonah in every one of us. Right, and if you're sitting and you're a little uncomfortable, maybe there's a lot of bit of Jonah in you right now. Okay, and that's okay. Right, every single day, you and I are, you and I are invited into faith and obedience. Every day we experience the call to walk the way of Jesus. And if you pay attention, you'll actually notice when God lays specific calls on your life as well. And I don't know what that call is on, on your individual life. Maybe that is a call to a specific form of generosity. Right? Maybe that's a call to, uh, to a particular person at work or a neighbor or a friend or a family member that God is calling you to demonstrate and announce the kingdom to, to, to share the good news of the gospel with Maybe it's a call to join God in a particular ministry of justice and mercy. Or maybe it's just simply the call to look at someone that you've seen every single day and just tell them that God loves them. I don't know what God's call, his specific call is on your life. But the question this morning is, how are you responding to God's call? When you hear his voice, do you respond like Jonah, like a cranky toddler who's half-heartedly obeying God, who's doing just enough to say that he was obedient, but he's missing the heart of it all. He's missing the joy of seeing God transform lives. He's already got his back turned to the city. He's going to look for that scenic overlook. Or do you respond like the Ninevites? Jonah responds with a half-hearted response. The Ninevites respond wholeheartedly with obedience and repentance. And this is, again, a separate sermon. But if you actually look at the the repentance of the Ninevites, it starts with an internal conviction, and uh, and then it goes out to an external action. All repentance happens this way. All repentance starts with an internal conviction, and it doesn't stop there. I'm not just convicted in my soul. Repentance is complete in me when, it respo- when I have a response that happens, when there's an external action that happens. And so in Jonah 3, verse 10, it says this. When God saw what they did, 
Had they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Remember when I said the book of Jonah is like really intricately and brilliantly written? Even in Jonah's five-word, like really bad sermon, right, that last word, the word destroyed, it can actually be translated two different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it is translated as the word destroyed, destruction. Other times it is translated as the word changed. Okay, so even in Jonah's sermon, there is a, a note of hope. Forty more days and Nineveh will be changed. I want to be clear. The book of Jonah uh, this, this book is not about villainizing Jonah at all, right? We're not here to, like, you know, shame Jonah or, or beat down on him or whatever. Uh, the, book, the point of this book is actually to show us that we are like Jonah, right? And if you're feeling some sort of conviction this morning, I want, I want to be clear that there is no condemnation on Jonah here, right? God shows Jonah the same amount of grace and steadfast love that he shows the Ninevites, in chapter 4, we'll see that God actually talks to Jonah kind of like a parent would talk to a, like just a cranky toddler. Right? He's gracious. He's loving. He knows that Jonah doesn't, does, just doesn't get it yet. He's gracious with him. Right? This is not a, a lesson of do better, be better. Right? God shows Jonah the same steadfast love that he shows everyone else in the book. The point of this book, this is the point, you ready? The point of this book is to teach us about God's steadfast love for you and me and for those people. The point of this book is uh, it's, it's about God's invitation for us to join him in the calling that he has for us. Whatever that calling is in your life right now. And so as we leave today, as we get ready for uh, communion together, I want us to consider this. If God can use Jonah in this incredible way, despite his half-heartedness, imagine what he can do with our wholehearted response. Father, Thank you so much for the example of Jonah. Thank you so much, Father, that, uh, that you don't condemn Jonah. You guide him. You, uh, you send all these uh, elements and, 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 and the scenarios in his life to shape and challenge and transform him. And even when he doesn't quite get it, you continue to show love to him. Thank you, Jesus, that you do that very same thing with us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, you know that we're going to stand together. We're going to uh, form a line, two lines actually, in the center aisle. You're going to come down to the front and accept communion from our, our volunteers. And then you'll walk back up the outside aisles. Before we do that, though, we're going to read a liturgy together. We're going to do a reading together. As we prepare to take communion, we want to invite our family and those of you who are followers of Jesus to prepare your hearts 
with us by reading this ancient prayer. Let's read this together. The Lord is here. God's Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to offer thanks and praise. It is our duty and our joy to give thanks, to give you thanks and praise, O God, creator and sustainer of the universe. We give you thanks for sun and sea and sky, for bush and birds, for phases of the moon, for stars at night and planets in their courses. For the universe, we praise you. We worship and adore you. We give thanks for our creation and our calling, for friendship and community, for love and laughter, tears and pain of growth. For the gift of life, we praise you. We worship and adore you. We give thanks for those who went before us with saints and martyrs, preachers and prophets, with all who stand before you in heaven, in earth and heaven, from every culture, land and tongue. We praise you, giving voice to every creature as we join the never-ending song. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. Earth, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Blessed are you, most holy in Christ Jesus, who came among us as a servant and a friend to reconcile us to yourself. We thank you for the life of love, the good news of your reign, and the promise of a banquet where all your children shall be free. For your gift of Christ, we praise you. We worship and adore you. As you are ready, I want to invite you to stand, come into the aisles, and join us for communion.